Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? When the sun goes down and the moon comes out, I turn into a teenage gugumuck. I cruise through the city and I roam the streets. I'm always looking for something nice to eat. You better duck when I show up. The Gugu Muck. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm back again. We had a, what, is, what would you consider? This is a 24-hour turnaround. We were here last night doing a three-and-a-half-hour show about Black Flag. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. I... You know, I am not, I like to consider myself, I pride myself on being somewhat scholarly about the misfits, but Black Flag is, I don't know that much about Black Flag. I've read books about Black Flag. I've seen Flag Live and, and whatnot. I know general history. So that was really fun for me as well to sort of uh, tackle a show like that. Really, really good. Lots of stuff, lots of details that were left unsaid that I will need to come back and we'll probably have to do a little bit of a follow up show. I hope you don't mind. Um, but tonight we're doing live pizza. That's right. It's live pie tonight. Uh, I was really bumming out about pizza punk because, you know, we, we've done the occasional episode here and there, but, you know, it's been far and few between. We, we really busted out of the gate, you know, uh, fast and furious. And <laughs> Jaeger here says that he was watching the Black Flag episode earlier and still hasn't finished the first hour. <laughs> yeah. He's he's only he's less than 30 percent through. Damn uh, is what it is. But yeah. So for tonight's episode, um, this is at, this is actually a real treat for me because I haven't I've spoken to him on the phone several times, but I haven't seen him face to face in over a decade. Um, the, me, we we connected over the Internet about a decade ago and actually went on a little adventure together. It was a lot of fun. We got Rue Morgan in the house reporting for <laughs> reporting as ordered. Sir. <laughs> That's awesome. Rue, you would really like brain eaters. You're going to learn. We're going to learn about brain eaters tonight a little bit. Uh, in any case, I met this guy, Joe truck. He is such a character. He was a fixture uh, in the New York scene back in the day. You know, uh, and we're going to we're going to we're going to talk to him tonight, learn what he's up to. He's got some stuff he he's going to uh, announce to us. Really excited to hear about everything that's happening right now. What's going on, Droid? Uh, without further ado, let's take him out of the digital green room. He's waiting, waiting in the wings. Uh, let me bring out Joe Truck Casher. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you, Jeff? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. 
It's been a long time. Um, let's start. Let's start from when you and I met. We yeah. we connected on the internet. I because I'm doing the, the the Misfits thing, and yeah. your band was actually on Misfits Central Brain Eaters because yeah. Mark Kennedy, who runs Misfits Central, more on Mark at another time. By the way, um, yeah. Mark Mark Kennedy was scrupulous in sort of documenting every other band, everybody who was involved with those bands. Like, yeah. like so for instance, if, you know, Steve, outside of being in Sam Hain, he was also in Morning Noise. So Morning Noise is on there. Damien, yeah. who was in Sam Hain, he was also in a band yeah. called Brain Eaters with Joe. So that's how I knew about Brain Eaters. And Joe, who lives out in Cali, he came... Uh, he came on the East Coast. He came back East because he's from New York originally. He came back yep. East because he was doing a project. But I'm going to turn it over to Joe. Joe, why don't you tell me if, if can you talk about the project? Is that something that we can, that we want to talk about? Or is that not something? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that, so tell, I, came back to, I decided I wanted to do a book. I wanted to do a photograph, a photo book of um, called Punk Portraits. And I was photographing everybody from the scene between 76 and 82, 83, because I didn't want to go into when I thought kind of punk kind of died out, uh, the punk that we're talking about, killed by killed by death punk, they call it. Um, and I did San Francisco, New York, LA, and DC. And I photographed about 200 people, everybody from the scene. Amazing. Um, yeah, I got pretty much, uh, so many of them have passed away since I photographed them, at least yeah. 20, at least 20 people. John Stab from Government Issue, Lee Black Childers, uh, 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 of course, Billy Rath. Billy Rath. Um, so many people have passed away since that's, I photographed them. That's funny. That's you crazy. have you have you have fo uh, photos of John Stab, and I have two I hours. I have two hours of interview that no one's ever he's seen great, of John he was a great, Stab. He was a great guy. He he Sweetheart. came. He showed me around Sweetheart. DC. Yeah, when I I I went to the Minor Threat House and I photographed Mackay. And then um, I was going to HR's place to photograph him. He was having one of his episodes. I love HR. Bad Brains are like one of my all-time favorite bands, period. Love him. He's great, but he has, you know, he was having some episodes back then. And Grant, the guy Yikes. who was kind of out with him, Grant um, couldn't get into his apartment. HR didn't want to didn't want to talk to me. So John Stab met with me and we went around DC and I photographed him and he turned me on to some people in DC that I could photograph as well. I went was to he uh, living, was he living in a garden apartment at the time? Did you go yeah. over to his place? Yeah. I didn't go to that's... his place. He met me he met me in whatchamacallit square, whatever that hipster square is in yeah. DC. Downtown. And yeah. then I went and photographed Kid Congo, Brian, Kid Congo Powers and yeah, a bunch yeah, of yeah. people in the DC area. It was great. Um my DC trip was awesome. So that, and then I did New York, obviously, because right. I was with you for a little bit of that we New York trip. We went to Jersey, and then um, I who did, did we? Uh, I drove you to the financial district. So I was, I was, I was Joe's uh, driver. Uh, we were in my grandmother's car. You were more than was, a driver. <laughs> yeah, no, we had we had a lot of fun, but but I I, I spent uh, I think we spent two days together, and we did. I we were or maybe it was even long. I think I met up with you on a third day too, but I or maybe that was the same day. I don't know, but we went to either Martin Rev's house or Alan we went, Vega. Yeah. We went to Vega Alan Vega's house. I did right. photograph Martin Rev as well, and I think you took me to Walter Lore's place out in uh, Queens. Didn't I you? did not. I had I been to Walter's place. I had been to Walter's place because I had interviewed him, but no, it was not me. 
That was not. Yeah, me. no, I went out there. Um, yeah, I think you, you took me to to um, Sheepshead. He he lived out in Sheepshead. Yeah, Queens. he lived in Sheepshead. He has a beautiful. He had a beautiful apartment. Beautiful he's, apartment. He's, he's so missed. Uh, he's such, such a, a such a I'm so I'm so glad Great that person. I captured his yeah glad I captured yeah. his interview on tape as well he um no I, what who I you know where we went after after Alan Vega we went to, I this this like took took my breath away you're like okay we got to go to Brooklyn to go photograph Andy Chernoff. I was like, of the dictators? Yes. I was a huge- Andy, Andy was great. He was awesome. And I was a huge was dictators so fan. Oh, please. Who's not a dictators fan? I, I, dude, that was like, that was a, like, that really blew my mind. And, you know, Andy yeah. was so funny because he really hammed it up for the photos. We picked him up. It was great. Oh, he, he did like the, he was sucking in his cheekbones. He was doing the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It. He was like, he was kind of like uh, peacocking. He was like leaning Andy's against the street pole. Yeah, great guy. He actually, he did an episode of Pizza Punk as well. And I, I said, know. listen, I said, you're not going to remember me at all. But I once like drove you, <laughs> drove you uh, to a photo shoot, blah, 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 blah. And he remembered that. And he was Good. very, he didn't remember me, I don't think, but he, and he didn't, not, I didn't ask him, do you remember me or don't you remember me? But it was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to acknowledge that we had once met once before in the distant past. So yeah, yeah, that yeah. was cool. Um, yeah, cool. But uh, yeah, we did the book that. Has never, the never come to fruition yet. I have the pictures. I've edited dude, a ton of them. There's like what? 150 more I have to edit. I'll do it eventually before you I die. have to, this has to come out, man, especially listen, not that it's not, I, 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 I hate to sound macabre when I say this, but I mean, you've already said it. it's like a lot of these yeah. people have passed and anything that's captured of their essence is like, people want to see that stuff. And Alan, Alan Vega passed Walter Lohr passed. Yeah. So Billy Raff. Yeah, I mean, it's just, as you said, John Stab. That's was, you know, that's what happened to me. I I did about a hundred interviews, just talking to various people that were either in the New York punk scene or you know were actually like uh, ran in similar circles as like the Misfits or whatever. Uh, some yeah. people very loosely connected, but I could, you know, would be perfect for a segment about setting up the time and place, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. it's, I'm sad to say that about 10 of these people have passed away and it's just at least, at least 10, at least 10, maybe 15 at this point. Well, it just, it's just surreal. Yeah, no, the people that, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just, they, they have all, they have all passed away, but here's what, here was our, here's what happened with our big adventure. And this is, this is also detailed with footage in, uh, in another video about the end of Billy Rath's life. And yes. you're, I actually put one of your pictures in there, Joe, so that you were Great. represented awesome. when I, when I, when I mentioned it, um, what happened was, this is actually how I first met Billy. Billy came back on Facebook. This is a little bit of a retread. Billy came back onto Facebook. Joe had contacted him on Facebook and was like, Hey, um, you know, uh, I want to photograph you. But he had yeah. no way to get down there. So he's like, Jeff, we got to go down to like nowhere, New Jersey in South Jersey. Where was the place? What was the place called? I, I don't forget. remember what town it was. We went way the fuck out. It we were we out. were so we were hours, south. We were two hours into Jersey. Yeah, it we was so we went so far down. And I was like, I didn't want to really do it. I was kind of like, uh, what? Why? Uh, I don't know. if Because what you were trying to do, and it was smart of you. You're like, you're like, dude, come on. You can interview him. And I'm like, I, it's not relevant. Like, why would I? I just don't see. It's very. He was very relevant. You want to know something? I, I'm so glad that you convinced me to do that. Because 
I think I'm the only person that has him on tape. There's nobody else who's interviewed him. I, I know people are people are going to give me shit about this, but I say whatever I want. People will give me shit all the time. I'm I'm like you know people yeah. love me or they hate me. We're the reason Billy came back and started doing music again. You and I are. Remember oh, when we got to come his on. everybody? No, no, no. Everybody thought he was dead. And in fact, only two or three people, Max's people that I knew, knew he was still alive. And he had given up. Remember when we talked to him? He didn't think anybody was interested in this his stuff true. at all. This is true. So Joe and, and I, him, yeah, Billy, you got to do something. And then all Joe did other say this. Joe did say this. I did yes. say that. We and were then, hanging I was out. Like, Billy, Yes, you're we, relevant and you're incredible and yes. you're a legend. You got to get back into music. And he played us the songs. Remember? Right, right. He so, play, so Billy he played us the demos. Yeah, Bill. This was this was what was interesting about Billy. He was um, he had like a stereo in like his study, and we're, we're in his house, and he's you know um, uh, Joe is uh, Joe's like Billy. You still making music or anything? And and and, yeah. and to to our surprise, Billy was like, Yeah, yeah, I'm still making yeah. music. He he played us this like ba- it was like bass with like a drum machine. Yeah, it was a drum machine, bass, and like some guitar. Yeah, bass and drums. Yeah, and it was just inter- instrumental stuff. And yes, you were incredibly encouraging it. And that's when we learned initially yeah. that he. I don't know if maybe did he tell us or were you the one who told me that he had actually? I mean, he had lost his leg to, to diabetes. Yep. 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 Yeah, and yeah. and but here the here's why I bring that up. I don't bring that up again uh, as a you know a, for for dr- dramatic purpose. I bring it up because you know Billy. I, I think Billy at the end, you know, he was he's he still had some miles left in his heart. Maybe not few, his body and his heart. A and few years he, to go. We had a few years. Yeah, and he, you know, I don't know what he ever aspired to, but he never like gave up. He just like got out there. With on yeah. his bum leg, and yeah. just you know, because that's hard. It's hard to be, you know, um, older and to be, you know, disabled in that way, and to be yeah. out of the game for so long, and to put yourself back out there and play music in front of people. That's not easy to do. And Billy, like he, he really, he did, he did. And you know what? He it was at we met him that time, and then. Then I helped, I was assisting Peter Crowley with his Max's Kansas City thing. And that's when yeah. I bumped into Billy again. And yep. that's what, that was the one time I hung out with Lee Black Childers and Billy Raff and me at, at Lee's, Lee's yeah, Lee's. at his apartment. And that was so cool because it was just like, these are friggin' legends. And you know what? They're I legends. wish I knew more. Dude, I wish I knew more what I know now. Cause I would have asked them so many more questions. I just, I, didn't I got have... the, I got the, mm. I got so many great stories from Lee when I was at his apartment and got so many great pictures of him. My picture of Lee, he knew all the skeletons. one of my he, favorite pictures. He, he knew, he knew, he knew a lot of skeletons and you know what, since we're being salacious. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'll just say be, that. We're gonna be salacious? Are we going to be salacious? No, no, no. Well, I'll, I'll say this one thing. I'll say this one thing. Cause one party is still, still alive. Uh, here's how I'll say it. We were, I was driving Lee and Billy Rath because Billy Rath was staying at Lee's house. I was driving Lee back to his apartment and Lee was super drunk and he mentioned it just slipped out like the, like the old queen that he was like, you know, just sort of gossipy. Yeah. He's just, he just in the best way ever. Lee mentioned that um, an affair that Ramon had had. Yeah. And I, it was it was shocking. It was a it was a shocking admission 
to me, dr- just driving. I wasn't even, it wasn't even like he was just talking. He was just talking out loud. He you gotta was, tell, he was, you gotta tell the, you gotta tell the story now. I There's will, I will, I, I will tell you off air because I think it All would right, be, okay, I can't say it on okay. this, this one thing I can't say on air, but okay, off I air, know. I will tell you and just right. remind me it, it was, I'm sorry to do this guys, but you, okay. and you know me, I'm very candid on here. With pins and needles now. Hey, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Joe, I just can't say it. I, I can't say it because um, there are certain parties that are still alive and I just think it would be, it's not, it's, it's not appropriate. I, I but I'll tell you, me. I'll tell you, dude. That, don't expect me to be that PC. No, I, you don't have to, but in my, in this, in this, uh, in this one instance, yeah, I'm going to out of, out okay, of respect cool, cool. because I, I know the other person. So it's, right. it, it oh, just, okay, yeah, cool. I, that's why I, I don't know. I just feel like I, I shouldn't say it, but in any case, we hung out with Billy. It was awesome. We on, on the way down there. That's when I had never listened to the mad. I know who the mad were, but I never listened yes. to him. And Joe's like, yeah, you got to check out the mad. So I'm like, mad holy shit. He put yes. on, I, I hate music. And I just it I, blew yeah. my mind. Yeah. Melted my mind. Yes, I was like, holy amazing. Crap. they were incredible. I was they like, were, this is so good. good. I was like, this yeah. is, this is phenomenal. Like they, they really, they really are. And it's so great. Like, you know, in years since as, as YouTube grows, where people are putting more and more trinkets uh, onto YouTube, we're starting to see all this great stuff uh, pop out of the woodwork. So that's how Joe and I met. And, um, and, and, and that was a really, dude, that was a really fun. It was a, that was a really fun excursion. Fun. I always, we were blasting yeah. meatloaf. Remember blasting meatloaf on that's the way out? Right. That's right. I was yeah, in a yeah. meatloaf. I was in a meatloaf. We were in a meatloaf, that meatloaf food, let me tell you something. Meatloaf is great. Meatloaf is great. I mean, I'm always in a meatloaf, the food or the music. Yeah. Yeah. That people don't realize how great bad out of hell is. And here's oh, the thing. Now, back in the day, you would probably in the late 70s go, oh, meatloaf, that's so mainstream. Fuck that music. But, okay, well, that's good. But, you know, that was like the top, that was top 40. That it was, was top, but it was also cutting, it was also cutting edge. It was, not only was it cutting edge, it was punk as fuck. Like, the, the, what it took to get that made, it's produced by Todd Rudgeon, you know? Like, love Todd. I mean, it's just not, um, it's that, that's, that's an insane album when, when, how they got that made. We're not going to go into that though. So, no, no, we, no so Joe, tell me, um, yes. well, first of all, let's, let's talk about, before we talk about anything else, let's talk, or maybe we should start, maybe we should start when, when did you start going to shows? When did you start getting into um, punk music? Okay. So forgetting classic rock, which I started going to shows for that in like 74, my first show was 74. Um, I started. What were you going seeing? What were you seeing? What classic uh, rock did you electric see? Electric Light Orchestra was my first show. Ooh, um, that, I love the love ELO. 1974. Great love band. ELO too. Yeah. And then I saw like Kansas and Boston. I saw Aerosmith on Night in the Ruts. Kiss Destroyer. Kiss Love Gun. Oh wow! And then I, w- I was the classic rock guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, then there was like a little a little thing in between classic rock. Disco started happening, and and um. I was kind of in like a little nebulous, weird, like no man's land of music. I was listening to a lot of parliament, a lot of funk, like uh, the Isley Brothers and stuff, which I love. Mm-hmm. And then punk happened. And uh, when it, my sister was, a, I have a half sister. She lives in New York, so she lives in Brooklyn. She was a Mercer Arts chick. And she was, oh, a, Max's, okay. she was a Max's Mercer Arts girl. So she, yeah. dated, she dated Ty Sticks from the Heartbreakers. And she was, wow. you know, she, Dated one of the guys from the Boyfriends, who was an awesome Max's band that I loved. 
Um, so she I was with you. Out. I was with you when we yes. when you were hanging out with the boyfriend. What uh, the guy uh -huh. from? Oh God, what was his name? Or maybe it was Milk and Cookies. One of those. We were at a bar. It was me, you, Plus Greg Fasolino. Yeah. And he it was, was Milk and Cookies. I also photographed the boyfriends. I also photographed. Oh, okay, them. never mind. Carry on, carry on. But okay, so so um, she took me to Max's, and um, I think the first show, it, it might have been the Heartbreakers. She might have just wow. taken me, and, we were, and the Heartbreakers were playing. And this was after they had already broken up. It was '78, mid to late '78 was when I first started hanging out at Max's. Explain and this then, for the explain this for the crowd because that this this does yeah. this does this is important in the sense yeah. that. The Heartbreakers were a, you know, working, functioning band. Then they broke yeah. up, but then they what kept up, happening? Broke up in 77, I believe. Right, if I'm right. Not, oh, somebody can correct me on that one. But in 78, 79, 80, they were doing these things called the rent party shows. Right. And they would just get together and they would play and they'd get paid and they'd pay their fucking rent, get their right. dope, whatever they had to do. Right, uh, right. Eat, eat, pay their apartments, right. you know? And um and those were the shows that I got I got to see you know because I didn't start hanging out till mid to late seventy eight so um they were the rent party shows and it was like almost weekly practically I mean it was at least monthly and I was at every one of them and I went wow. to, I started going to Max's all the time and I became like a Max's hurrah hurrah was one of my favorite clubs tier three mud club uh, tracks um and then a bunch studio ten. I started doing the rounds, but I wasn't a CBs guy at that point. You know, CBs was a different scene. Maxes and CBs were very different. So I wasn't like going to see the Ramones and talking heads at CBs. I was like, a art, you know, I was more into like Maxes and all the other clubs I just mentioned. I was a lot right. into like art rock. I love No Wave. So I'd go see like Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. And I would go see James 13. Chance. Lydia, Lydia Lunch's band, Contortions, Bush Tetras, all that shit. And um, by 80... Contortion, Pat Place was already in the Bush Tetris, who I love, one of my favorite bands and great people. I photographed all them too. Um, yeah, so 78. And then I just, you know, I was doing the New York thing, clubbing five nights, six nights a week. It was great. And what's that lifestyle? Like the night doesn't start until like 11, 12 at night. You start, you start getting ready at maybe 10 or 11. <laughs> you know? and, you're out, and then you're out at a show by midnight. And that's when the like headlines one, two in the morning, it starts to slow down. Then you do after hours. It was a great place. One of my girlfriends, um, her mom owned this place called the UK club. And um, that was like after hours and it was great. And then, and then later, you know, 81, 82, later on Berlin started tapping Chase Park and all these after hours places. We used to go to club Hellfire, which was kind of like a gay crossover disco place. There were all these places. Everybody was doing punk. Punk was like, Everybody's jumping on the punk bandwagon. And the punk kids would go to all these other places that weren't punk. So we would kind of, we'd go to ska shows and we'd all go to reggae shows. That's punk, awesome. Yeah. So it was like, you know, whatever the, wherever was happening, the punks would go there, the punk kids, the art, art rock kids, whatever we were, you know, kind of punky art rocky kids. That's awesome. Um, yeah, no, that's really cool. And, and you, you're sort of watching, you're sort of watching this thing. You said something very interesting at the beginning when we were talking, you said that, um, so what in your opinion from your POV uh, boots on the ground, because it's, yeah. it's so easy to talk about this stuff from an internet age, from, you know, you didn't have to be alive. You could just sort of easily glean over textbooks and go, well, actually, 
how hard it was to find music and stuff. Yeah. No, no, no. I just mean, I, I just mean like, what did, how, what did you see changing from, you know, 83 seems to be like a milestone year. What do you, what did you see changing from your point of view in that time, the, the shift? The scene, like the scene? Yeah. I mean, mu- musically, the, the punk music. Hardcore, hardcore, hardcore started happening. Right. And um, those, kids, those kids started coming around and um, it had started earlier in a lot of other towns and in a lot of other cities. Mm-hmm. But it, the hardcore matinee thing had, you know, that was kind of starting. And those kids were younger than me. You know, I'm in I'm an in-between age. I'm not as old as like the Heartbreakers and guys who, you know, I'm not as old as the Dolls guys, but I'm not as young as the hardcore kids who happen in like 84, 85, 86 I'm not, I'm not their age. They're like, right. you know, good five, six years younger than me or even younger than that. Something a lot. Mm. So that started happening. Hardcore started happening. Um, although it had been happening already, but what we call hardcore, you know, right. Those well, talk about, talk, you know, I think you could speak to that as well. Talk about the, you know, what you're, what you're referring to that later period is that's like, I guess, I don't know, for lack of a better term, it's like meat and potatoes, Hardcore, cookie cutter, hardcore, you know, um, shaved head, you know, um, just beating the crap out of each other. What about the hardcore that was happening in 1980 at Max's Kansas City? How is there? That's different, right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really, it wasn't hardcore, but there were fast bands, you know what I mean? And to me, it wasn't hardcore. Hardcore was a tech that came around later. And it was kind of like based off the L.A. stuff. I think the L.A. stuff had a big influence and the D.C. stuff had a big influence on the bands that were in New York. I, you know, I mean, I don't I'm going to get shit for that. I know I'm going to get shit for that because um, but that kind of like shaved head, no, no style whatsoever, except because they were rejecting all kinds of style. That stuff, um, you know, it was a total rejection of the art rock kind of stuff that we were doing at Max's. It was like right. it was like a me this thing it was like it was like the way what grunge did to. What grunge did to hair metal, hardcore kind of did to that kind of artsy punk. Um, you know, it became the thing. And I was always skirting around the edges, which was one of the reasons I love the Misfits. You know, the Misfits were a Max's band, as far as I'm concerned. They right. were a Jersey band. But when they came to New York, I saw them at Max's. They're you know, a New I York band. Them. I they're think a, of them as a New York band. They're a Jersey band. I, they're a I, Jersey band. Everybody says they're a Jersey band. Here's why. I don't think I don't think they'd argue with me. They're they're a band from Jersey who just were on the New York scene. That's great. I I see. Listen, I and I'm sure I'm sure that's exactly what they would say too. But everybody lives in Jersey. Everybody's from Jersey. Wow, they did. But they but they made they made a name for themselves. They established themselves. They were playing constantly in New York. 100%, 100%. 100%, 100%. But I mean, in that case, all the bands that, you know, established themselves in New York would be a New York band. Um, I mean, I used to, it used to make me nuts because later on, the Bouncing Souls and Electric Frankenstein, for all friends of mine who I love dearly, um, yeah. would call themselves NYC. And I'd be like, come on, you ain't NYC. I'm NYC. I'm born or raised on fucking H. I don't think of, no, Bouncing Souls are a Jersey yeah, band. That's a Jersey Souls band. NYC and, and, no, and Electric Frankenstein, who I crazy. also love. No, but whatever. I don't care. But I'm just saying. I know. Like, I don't it, think misfits were being like we're from New York. Well, they're synonymous the with the area. town of Lodi. It's, they're they're the synonymous with the town area. of area. Yes, but there's two different. I mean, look, like Black Flag, like the Dead yeah. Kennedys, 
The misfits yeah. are this super weird thing. You talked about like being the in-between time. The misfits started in 77 when at the height of the New yeah. York punk explosion, but they, and they transitioned. They did look more punk in the early days. They hadn't gotten the horror thing going yet. They looked very punk. And when they played Max's, and I saw the Bobby Steele lineup a couple of times and saw the Max's, you know, the Max's, they looked very punk. They weren't doing the, the like horror thing so much yet, you know, and it was great. They were still great. But then that started to morph into the more horror, more horror oriented, just horror, horror punk thing where they started like identifying themselves and you could identify them with like what became horror punk. They kind of invented it. Um, right. But they looked like a punk band. They wore like striped, you know, striped spandex and leathers and like, you know, they, I mean, they looked like a punk band. They looked great. I thought they were fucking cool as hell. I thought they were, uh, they were great. I thought the Bobby Steele lineup with the static age lineup is my favorite lineup still. Um, you know, and I love, I, I I love, love the horror. I love the horror. This is great. The horror business. People were horrified. People were horrified at Max's about the, the like local Max's people. The, the regulars were like, did not know what to make of the misfits, but they brought a crowd. Some from Jersey, some from New York, some from like the outer boroughs who came to see them. So they had a great crowd, but the Max's regulars thought they were totally weird. They thought they thought they were weird. They were like, they called them like the scary spooky guys and those Halloweeny guys. They, I mean, they, they, they thought they were weird. And that's fine because they were kind of pretentious, the uh, Max's people. You see, know, and I was here, see, this is I agree with Daggerlove. Lodi totally, is like eight eight miles from New York City. Lodi is closer to New York City than most of the New York bands. Case in if you have somebody I don't do you think really think Glenn's gonna try to say he's a New Yorker? I don't think so. I think um no, but I, I just like they just were they're con- they were contemporaries of they're oh, contemporaries absolutely. of that New York of that New York yeah. scene, and 100%. there's no there was no scene in Jersey, you know what I mean? So it was like well, there was but there there began one happened and it was a good one. There was a good scene happened. But I I I just mean I mean in the sense of like the the punk thing that was happening was happening in New York City, and so I absolutely. when I think of them, I, they are. New York, I in uh yes that's true he did live in New York Glenn did live in New York with some of the members of the victims for a, for a small for a short short time in uh 79 78 79 but besides the point I I would say they are a New York band by way of Jersey that's where I, that's where I'll leave that one. I'll 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 accept that totally fine okay i don't like I, I don't i don't hate on jersey i love jersey oh no, no not at all not at all so no workers hate on uh, that when we were when i was hanging out in 78 let me tell you something yeah the new yorkers the manhattanites like i'm a manhattanite so many of them hated on the outer boroughs. I know. Hated on Jersey. Bridge and tunnel. Bridge and tunnel. Yeah. I'm not one of those people. I hated the bridge and tunnel assholes. Like the, we called them cougines, guidos, who would come in and fucking call us fags and fucking spit on us and throw shit on us from their fucking stupid cars. But other than that, the punks from all the area, I loved. You could come into town from wherever the fuck you were. If you were a punk right. kid, you wanted to be part of the scene. You were fucking awesome. You were accepted. That was the whole thing about that scene. Everyone was accepted. It was a diverse scene. 
it was not the punk that we came to know where everybody had to wear a uniform. Everybody had to look punk. It was, you know, it was really diverse. Everybody looked different. The misfits looked different than the mad and the mad looked different than the contortions and teenage Jesus were their own thing. And there was the boyfriends and there were glammy bands and there were bands that were playing like, you know, bluesier stuff. There was neon Leon and he was a black dude fronting an awesome band. There was everybody, you know, stimulators who were, you know, a totally different kind of punk. They were more like a UK version. And like, there was no rules. When the rules came in, everything got fucked up. Everything was ruined, you know? Not that I don't, not that I don't love a lot of those did, bands. Did hardcore got, bring in the rules a little bit? Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And I love yeah. hardcore. I right. love hardcore. But I didn't like the aesthetic of you can't look cool. You can't look a certain way or you're like, you, you, you're not accepted by the hardcore scene. There was like, there became right. a uniform. There became a look. And whenever there becomes like a look, it happened in the UK too. First, the Damned were, then Chelsea, all these different bands, you know. And then all of a sudden, you had to have a fucking mohawk and hang out on King's Road and have that punk look, and you were punk. By that time, all the original punks, like Dave Vanian, were like, punk is dead. Sex right. Was, you know, they, so to them, punk was dead, but everybody was like, oh, this is punk. I'm a, I have a fucking mohawk, blah, 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 blah. That's cool. Mohawks are great. But, you know, the uniform thing, punk was so diverse and everybody had a cool different look and it was all enveloped in punk and that was so great when that ended to me punk kind of ended in a weird way but you, it's still, you used I mean, to call it the no the no pose pose well the no pose pose is another thing that's well, like bands that? like the that's like bands like the replacements and grunge bands who say oh i have no style but they have like a look it's a no, it's a no style look. I you know get it. I mean? No pose, no pose, pose. I get it. I get it. I love that. That's hilarious. Allison Chains, no pose, pose. I, I, I know, love that. Like, like I have a uniform that's supposed to be anti-uniform. Right there. Th- no, you know what it is? It's like, I mean, you know, you know who actually had a no pose, pose, but like in a non trying way was Black Flag. Black Flag was a band that just were. They were just guys. I'm gonna, like they I'm, were... gonna dis- I'm gonna disagree with you on that. Really? I honestly, yes. Wait, wait, especially, wait. especially early flag, especially early black flag before okay. Henry came. Yeah, no, no. Explain. Um, I'm I'm curious to know why they, you disagree with that. They, those kids were from fucking the South Bay. Okay. And I lived okay. in the South Bay and had a shop. I owned a tattoo shop in the South Bay for right. years. Those kids were skaters, surfers, bums, okay, okay. misfits. Some were came from rich families. Some came from poor families. They had not, they didn't have shit. They were wearing the clothes that they wore every day. That's I what I mean. No, no, that's what, tra- no, no, no. We, we are agreeing. Opposed. No, no, I'm we, agreeing. That, okay, cool. No, we, yeah, we they, agree. They, they, weren't, they weren't dressing up. That's black what I'm saying. No, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that Black Flag were the actual band yeah. that didn't have a pose. Like that yeah, they, yeah, yeah. yeah they that they, like they dressed. Right. That's what I mean. That they were, I and guess, everybody else tried to look like Black Flag, which is ridiculous. Right, and that the that that you're trying so hard to not look like you're trying so hard. Right, but that exactly. Black Flag yes. was no, no, no. You you misunderstood me. I I'm saying that Black Flag was the real deal in the sense that they legitimately like what they were wearing is that that's just yeah. what they were wearing. Just uh, they wearing. were they. You yeah. know what it is? It's utilitarianism. They just were completely yeah. utilitarian in in yeah. their in their dress. You know, it was, it was, it was Funny, not about, then you, like, then you have bands like the germs 
who had an image and they were trying really hard to have an image. Right. And that, that's cool too, because I love the germs. Um, I'm saying I love a lot of bands. It's really funny because I expected to say I hate a lot of things more than I do. But like the germs had a look and Darby had a, had style and he had his thing. Lorna had her thing. Pat looked kind of slobby. And you know, Don Balls, he had his thing. Yeah, they were Don, like, Don Balls, you know, was the, he was the peacock. Yeah. And then there's X who also had a complete look. They dressed, They knew what they were wearing. They put on clothes knowing I'm wearing this today. Not like I'm throwing on my Vans and my shitty jeans like Black Flag. X is, I think X is just one of the best things in the world. They're just so great. They are. And we will not touch on their, on their politics right now. We'll just let that one slide. No. Well, I, yes. And we love, we love X and we love their music. Let it go. Just let it go. Yeah, no, we love, we, we're just talking about the music. I love, I love, love that new album that they came out with Alphabet Land. Let me tell you something. It is it. so, okay. So, you know, I, I, I'll say this too. Maybe you'll just, maybe you will via, via hit. I can't say that word. Vehemently. Thank you. I'm going to let you say it. Disagree with me about <laughs> this album. I think that, I think X compares to this band in this way. How did you feel? I don't know if you did. You listen to the Re- Reform New York Dolls album when it came yeah, out? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I saw, did you like I saw it? Them play I, I um, saw them yeah, play as well. I liked it. Yes, I did like it. I thought that all things considered, for a band that was coming back after thirty years without Johnny Thunders, without yeah, Jerry, how Nolan, are they going to get Johnny? They would have gotten Johnny if he was alive, right? But I'm just saying. The fact that they did what they did with who that who they had, and they had a great band. Yeah. The band was phenomenal. Steve Conti, fucking come on, Steve yeah. Conti. Steve Conti was great. Sammy yeah. from Hanoi. Yeah. yeah, no, they were absolute. They were absolutely great. But my yes. point is, is that that album had no business being as good as it was for what it for considering the connotations. That it was just. I understand what you're saying, but it was a good album. It was a phenomenal. It. it was a. It was a phenomenal album. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's like and they were really good live too. They were. They were. And and I would say the reason why I bring up that Dolls album is because I would say Alphabet Land is the same thing. It's like this album has no business being so good after you know, you know, thirty years after putting out an album, you know, together like a proper album. Uh, the songs are great. They have the same X energy and it's just, it's just great. It's just really, really great. And I got to tell you, um, the, uh, seeing, I saw the dolls, I saw the reformed dolls with the Iggy and the Stooges and Bo Diddley. I'm sorry. With who Mike Watt on bass, the reformed Stooges with Mike. Yeah, Watt. I watched the only that's the only Stooges I could have seen, Joe. Yes. You're too young to have seen the <laughs> other one. Yeah. No, um, yeah, I saw I saw the Mike Watt Stooges reformation before Ron died. I got to see them twice with Ron, and it was just yeah, it was great. I mean, it was of course it was great. It was great. Even even I mean, see, I saw Iggy last time I saw Iggy Pop was 2016, and it was great because even though you know he's like not jumping around and being as dangerous as he used to be. He's still, yeah. we, I saw him at the Capitol theater in Portchester. Dude, he's still at, I, uh, I don't know. How, we love how, the Capitol theater. We love the Capitol theater. So, so at 69, he was 69 years old when, when he yeah. released post pop depression, which is just a masterpiece of an album. And he had Josh, Josh Homie was in his band, Homie, Homie, whatever his name is. And um, they, um, 
at 69 years old, you know, Iggy's just doing his lounge. He's kind of like a lounge act more, you know, he's, but he's like, he's like, you know, getting, he's playing with the crowd, but he stage dived three times at 69 years old. Good for him. Like I saw him run off the side of the stage without abandon, 69 years old. God, one of his, God, of his, God bless him. God bless him. And he, God bless him. And I'll tell you something. You know, he's got one leg that's shorter than the other one. I mean, the dude has like, it's just amazing that he, hey, he's only, he's only five foot one and he's only five foot one. Only five foot one. <laughs> Did you he's got a um, pain in his neck question? Cause he was around, he was living in New York city yeah. in the eighties. Did you I ever saw, catch him, him live? Oh, fuck. Yeah. I saw him a shitload of times I'm on the new values tour. I saw him on the lust for life tour. I was amazing. Always an Iggy fan. Question was but I got to tell you an Iggy story. Wait, wait, wait. Here's an Iggy story. Yeah, tell Joe me the Iggy story. Joe Truck's going to be controversial again, motherfucker. Uh-oh. Oh, um, oh no. Anyway, okay, no, no. I ran it. I'm a, I worship Iggy. I think he's fucking godlike. You know, right? Yeah. So I, I saw him in the street once <laughs> after I was playing a show. And I walked up to him. I was like, Iggy. And he fucking shined me on so hard. It was ludicrous. It was like the, the ultimate shine on. The get the fuck away from me, you idiot kind of shine on. Ooh. And I was like. Whoa, Iggy, you, how could you do that to me? You know who else did that to me? Nick Cave did that to me. And I'm the biggest Nick Cave. Oh. And he, Nick Cave was like, basically said, go get, get away from me. Kind did of he actually that. say, he actually said, get I away. He me. actually said, get away from me. And you know, that's hard. That's hard. That is I've hard. Never, I've never said, get away from me to anybody, except maybe like an occasional girlfriend. Um, I have to tell you, first of all, what would have happened if instead of calling him Iggy, what if you had called him Jim? Jimmy. Jim. I think he still would have said, get away from me. He would have said, get away from me. Um, Are you a big fan? I Okay, so I am. I have just been dabbling in Nick Cave for the last few wow. years. I've started dabbling. I have fallen in love with Murder Ballads. I love so Let, Let Love In, top to bottom, great album. Great album. Um, Henry's, Henry's Dream, Henry's Dream, great album. Yep. And and the the but some of his material is harder for me to sort of unlock a little bit. I, I don't I, like the I'm not into the later stuff. I'm not really into the the last three or four albums. See, I like the last three or four albums. Do you know what's actually kind of here's the thing? All right, this is this is gonna blow your mind a little bit. I think everybody loves the birthday party. I don't not I don't hate the birthday party, but I find the birthday party is a lot. It, it's, it's very much of an acquired taste. It's very hard to wrap my mind it's, around. It's a, it's a specific. Yeah. Yeah. Birthday party is like stooges per Ubu. Yeah. It's meets the, pop, meets the pop group meets like, it's like art rock at its height. And it's, but it's, I, I mean, I worship, I fucking love the birthday party. I have I all those albums. I have all the, I have the albums. I just don't. And, yeah. but, but here's, what's interesting. Now you obviously know this before, but for some people might not realize, you know, the birthday party turned into Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, but before they were the birthday yes. party, they were the, they boys, were the boys next, next door. door. Yeah. And, and that album, story. Door Door, yeah. that album, yeah, every single inch every single note of music on door door from the yeah. beginning to the end is yeah. like a masterpiece i love yes. shivers like the whole thing is great who wrote shivers it's not a, a rowan uh, Ron, Ron howard yeah Ron howard yeah oh my god what a song what a yeah. friggin' song dude i love the rowan howard songs are some of my favorites on prayers on fire 
the Roland Howard tunes are some of my favorites on that. Like, uh, uh, that, what's it called? I really need to give Birthday Party another shot. I just need to sit down. Do. And just Prayers on Fire and Junkyard. Just do Prayers on Fire and Junkyard over and over again. I have, I have both of those albums, and I just, I, I'll, I'll try it again. Listen, you know, I. Wow, we're way out there. We're in the birthday party right now. We're way the fuck out there. <laughs> We're like, we're like in, in 1981 in London. Oh, bro, we're yeah, but that's what's so great. You're so you're so you you have such a deep musical knowledge that you know uh, I can talk I can talk music with you. It's great. I love it. I love this. Um, the um, but that's that's uh, that is a bummer that you experienced that with both Iggy and oh, Nick, Cave. So Nick Cave. Nick Cave. Nick Cave was in uh, New York when that happened. Yeah, it was with John, it was when uh, they played when the um, when the first Bad Seeds show. The first Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds show at Danceteria. Me and uh, Andy was, Cushion. So that must have been 80, 84, 85, 85, 86? 84, it was 84, 84. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So tell me, right. all right. So you tell me about um, Chop Shop and then Brain Eaters. Tell me about like how you, you sort of dived into those two bands. That's a good segue because I was I had a bunch of bands that were like kind of Wait, 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 wait. Let me, I'm so sorry. I apologize for interrupting you. I just want to throw in, cause I'm just going to let you, you riff on that. I just want to throw yeah, yeah, in yeah. one little bit of spice there. Can you also talk about death rock? What is death rock? What is, um, you know, some of its characteristics, where it fits in musically after punk, how it, you know, post-punk, yada, 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 that sort of thing. I'll shut up. Go ahead. Continue. I apologize. Go oh. ahead. Um, you know, I'm going to be really unprofessional and before I'm going to get some more vino really quickly. Hold on. Okay. I'll fill the dead air. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do, uh, I'm, right here. I'm right here. I'm not right going to do any. Okay. Yeah, I'm right here. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. So, um, all right. So I was doing the Max's thing. I had a bunch of like arty rock, almost like no wavy bands. One called harmless matter. One called Shanghai beach. We played Max's a bunch of times. And then I had a band called primal law which is what Harmless Matter turned into. And then I started playing CBs. So now we're into like 82, 83. And I meet Andy Cushion, who is like this kid who was in a band called Red X, who were awesome. They were a CBs band and they played all the time. And we started like hooking up um, for like mu musically. We found we had a lot of the same. He was he was super into the jam. Yeah. Um, and I was really into like what was bubbling under as death rock and, and goth. Uh, was happening. So about 82, 83, we formed a band called Scarecrow, um, which was, according to music historians, the first gothic death rock band in New York. Wow. Next, of a mesh, who were my buddies, rest in peace, Alan, um, would be the next one six months later. So we were the first goth band in New York called Scarecrow. Anyway, if you look into it, look it up, kids. It's on YouTube. Um, and that lasted a short amount of time. There were some personality issues. So after that, Andy and I flew to London and we went to the Bat Cave and we saw the Bat Cave scene, Southern Death Cult. We saw Alien Sex Fiend. Oh, Southern were, Death Cult. Getting, we were really into like, started to get into the Inca Babies and the birthday party. We were already into the Stooges. We loved the Cramps. We were Cramps freaks. And so we came back and we were like, we got to do a band like this. So we got Rebecca Corbett from Even Worse um on guitar jack and, rabbit's uh, band yes and she was yes jack rabbit's band jack rabbit jack's a great guy jack's you introduced me to jack jack's an awesome dude he's you a introduced historian. me to jack and to nick martin yeah 
Nick, Nick, yeah. another awesome person. Anyway, so from even worse, go ahead, continue. Rebecca, Rebecca, this drummer called Steve De, De Benedetto, who actually is a super famous painter now. Oh. Um, we started Chop Chop. We started this band Chop Shop. And it's like, it's out there. There's a band camp. You can listen. Um, uh, it's like birthday party, cramps, stooges, scientists. We were super into the early scientist stuff. We love the Australian stuff. We were really getting into that. So it's like, that's around 84 Chop Shop. Mm-hmm. So we did a demo and it was awesome. I think fucking great. Pause, pause, um, pause, pause, we- pause, pause. I'm yeah, pausing yeah. you one more second. Can you quickly interject I had Greg do a whole thing about this, but I want to hear what you have to say too. What talk about the significance of demos in the eighties, you know, the eighties and really the nineties, like demos and demo culture and and in, in within tape culture was very significant. Can you talk a little bit about that before you continue on? It's like a precursor to the thrash tape trading thing. Everybody had a demo and the demos got you shows they were a way to introduce you to other people. They were a way that people could listen to your band. They were a huge. They were huge. So you'd go to the into the studio, which usually cost more than you could afford because we were all poor. Um, and you'd make a demo, and the demo was so many things. It was your band. It was your introduction. It was your way to get shows. It was your way to trade with other bands and play them your music. It was just a million things. It meant more than it was huge. It also could get you signed. Um, so it was huge. Demos were, demos were huge. And the Chop Shop demo is really good. Eventually, that shit's going to see the light of day. So, so we formed Chop Shop, Rebecca and, um, and Steve and me and Andy. And uh, we started playing CBs. And we, did, we started, like, killing it. Um, we started doing really well. And um, we started selling it out. We sold out CBs twice, once with the Butthole Surfers, once with Killdozer. And we, just were, we were just, like, right on the cusp of that scene. Then we toured with Scratch Acid. For a short amount of time, wouldn't exactly call it a tour, but we played some shows with them, and um, we were like we were like the New York version of Scratch Acid and the U Men who were in Seattle. We were we were like that that thing in '84 when that kind of noise rock mixed with all that other shit was happening. We were that band, and we were like the band of the hour in that moment. You know, I'm pretty sure members of the Chrome Cranks were in the audience when we played, and they got the idea to do you know their their version of the scientists and their awesome band but um yeah so that was chop shop and uh broke up again because kids will argue and kids man kids kids man kids i was kind of a dick i was kind of a dick i i kind of fucked things up in that band so that's shop shop and uh they're all the music oh and all the music's out there we recorded um a full length with Jerry from the cigarettes, Jerry Williams. He also uh, had the, he was very instrumental with the bad brains. Jerry Williams. Hold on. Talk a little bit more. So Jerry Williams guys, he, he had a a storefront called a seven and, and this place is considered, this is the birth of New York hardcore is that, and why it's called a seven because it's Avenue a and seventh street. That's like the coordinates. If you're, if you're in, for those of you who are not in New York city, you have coordinates. All the avenues run east to west and all the streets run north to south. So 7A is in Alphabet City. And it was in that storefront that the Bad Brains recorded the uh, the self-titled, what, right. what do you call it? The, the Roar cassette? Roar. 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 Yeah. yeah. Roar. 
And, you know, a lot of he he was just he was and that's like a legendary revered. I mean, that is like immaculate, yeah. just untouchable live in a live Jerry, in a room, yeah. you know, and that was Jerry. Jerry was, Jerry was this awesome Southern cat fucking so talented. He plays on the Chop Shop record. He plays. Guitar that's awesome. And he plays he plays um, he plays a bunch of stuff on it. And so we recorded and it was funny because all these hardcore bands were coming in and out the Cro-Mags and uh, Sacrilege and all these bands were recording with them, the hardcore stuff. And we were doing this birthday party cramps Stooges thing. And I think some of those kids really dug it. Um, at that point, the lineup was this kid, Matt Lipper, who was in Warzone for a short amount of time, Wolfpack, and he was in the Lunachicks for a little while. He's a great drummer. Um, it was me, Andy, a new guitar player called Eddie um who's now a very famous yogi like a yogi he's one of the most famous yogis in um like you know yoga teachers in new york and uh the chop so the full length chop shop uh came out it's called badlands and it came out on cassette but it never made it any any farther than that and jerry of course passed away yeah um you can chop shop, shop, shop. it's on band. youtube it's on youtube too it's you on, have- chop shops on youtube there's a band yeah. i made a band band for it it's fucking great and it's gonna see the light of day on vinyl eventually question joe is um yes, sir. What uh, this dude is correcting me. Uh, it, it's not a seven. It's one seventy one a is the address, but isn't it also known as a seven? A seven was a club. So a7 what was a club? So what am I? So what am I confusing here? What's the why? How is one seventy one a? I don't remember what Jerry's place was called. I don't remember what it's called. I always thought Jerry's place was called A Seven, or it was at Avenue A and Seventh Street. A Seven was A Seven was the club. Yeah, but there was a plaque. There's a isn't that that's where the Bad Brains recorded, right? Okay, I don't know. So whatever. In any case, I I stand corrected if 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 that be if need be. Um, I just know that that's where like. That's like the birthplace of a lot of stuff happened there. Um, so, right. and yeah, you can find, and and just again, you can find Chop Chop is also on Greg Fasolino, who's an incredible, he's a musician, he's an archivist, he's a writer, he's a historian. historian. Yes. He has uh, a, an incredible YouTube channel. He's got lots of interesting rarities, lots of demos, and he's been- Everything, he's got everything. Yeah. So he's, he's he the has reason, that stuff. Greg Fasolino, is, Greg Fasolino is the reason that all my bands, from Scarecrow up through Brain Eaters and past, ever kept seeing the light of day. Greg's a great guy. Greg was a really good friend of mine. Yeah. Um, I met him when he was doing a fanzine. And then because of Scarecrow, I feel, and just our mutual love of goth at that right. point, he started The Naked and the Dead, and I produced their demo. Me and Andy, the bass player from Chop Shop and Scarecrow, we produced the Naked and the Dead demo, took them into the studio. I showed Greg how to play like kind of death rocky guitar, which I, you know, John, John McGuff from, uh, from Susie and the Banshees and several other, you know, post-punky guitar players, that sound. Um, and uh, Greg did the Naked and the Dead who are like now like kind of legendary. Chop really? Shop, I mean, Scarecrow, Scarecrow are kind of forgotten um, because we only had one demo. Naked and the Dead did a whole thing and they kept promoting it. They're very well, they're well known now. But they're later um, than so here's what here's here's what else is interesting too. This is something else that's really interesting as well. Uh by the way, Chris Morantz from Morning Noise says hello to you. Hey Chris, what's up, buddy? We're gonna um, play shows together. Hey Chris Morning Noise Brain Eaters. That's a good bill, brain eaters and morning noise. No, um, question uh, to go back to the demo thing again. So you know, in the way like where when a band is like uh, 
you know, a band forms and there's like different like levels of formation. Like you could be a band in a rehearsal space and you never get outside the rehearsal space. But then maybe you're right. a band that gets outside the rehearsal space. You perform a show or two. And it's like, oh, well, they perform yes. live and that they, they made their live debut. They are a band. And then there's like, is yeah. there like, would you say there's almost like, some, like a demo commitment level where it's like, oh, we got to the place where we're, we made the demo. Our As you said, our band exists because we made the demo and we exist outside of a practice space and we exist outside of just playing live shows. It seems to be and what, and somewhat. What's your, what's your question? What's your question? Um, my, my question is, is there any, no, I'm, I, this is something that I'm surmising here. Is there any truth to that? Does that make sense to you, uh, from your POV and experience? Like I just guess, this, I mean, demo, demo legitimizes you only in the sense that it makes you, it makes you actually there. You know, you yeah, exist. that's what I mean. Yeah. Without the, demo, without the demo, you don't really exist. There are millions yeah. of bands that happened between, uh, between 78 and 83 or 84 that happened, that played live. Nobody ever right. remembers them. I I saw them, but they never made a demo. Right. They never did. They that's, didn't make a demo. That's exactly what exist. I mean. Right. You that's what exist. I mean. Well, it's almost like a level of commitment or it's like, a le it's like, it's almost like, the studio, but yeah, you yeah. yeah, but it's just like, yeah, it's, it's just so crazy. It's like, it's like, it's almost like it's pre-internet. And so it's yeah. like, if you don't make a demo, then you didn't even exist. Like in that kind of exist. way, at least in history. Well, you did exist because I saw you, I saw you play. Right, no, of course you exist. Anybody but... can get on stage and get together and play songs. If you right. didn't actually rehearse the songs and then go record them, you kind of don't exist. You do exist, but you don't exist. And there's a shitload of bands like that. There, some of them were really good and I'm so bummed they never recorded. I've actually right. looked for Max bands, bands that I saw at Max's, and they they don't have anything recorded. So, well, I, that's the it. one I thing that is nice and the horror, it, Lord, the horror lords are one of those bands. Yes, they, they exist. Are. There's so little of their stuff that like, and I saw them a bunch. Well, and Tarek, the guitar player, is a really fucking good friend of mine, Pete, and of course Pete was in the, Pete Damien was in the horror lords. Pete has the tape, but they. They almost don't exist because he, there's so little of no, them out Pete, there. Yeah, but Pete has the tape. It's going to come out. Good. It should. There's there's a Horror Lords is coming. There, there's there, Pete is putting out a tape. There's some live recording with Pete on it, and they were able to to get it. to They were able to digitize it or something. He was telling me on his episode of Pizza Punk, uh, as I recall. And, um, yes, the Horror Lords are like that. And even if it wasn't for that one single the stimulators would just be, you know, yeah. they were, I mean, the stimulators were a very, well, they, kept, they, kept, yeah, they kept playing and they had a lot of, rec they had more recorded stuff. I think Did they have more recorded stuff. Had, I thought it was only that yeah, one single and one live album. Out. But, um, huh. the stimulators, def the stimulators definitely existed. I mean, they were, they were, well, they of course they did, but awesome. I mean that, that seven inch didn't even have to legitimize them. They were such a staple on the scene. And one of my favorite bands, and not fast, even because Harley was like the fast, the fast, the fast were amazing. I yeah, have that. I have their album. Is there an album? I feel like there's nothing. There's, well, there's like nothing out there. Two albums and a bunch of seven inches. I have their album. Is there here. really? Huh? Yeah. I did not know fast that. Recorded. Yeah, they recorded. I did not know that. All right. Um. So so that's interesting. And then uh, to continue. So you're you're doing these bands, and and again just so what does this change what is gothic music what is death rock what is and how does is it um sort of synonymous to 
New York City or is it an England? No. Is it something that seeped over from England first and it's then seeped, it seeped over from England and it didn't get to Goth kind of got to New York before Death Rock did. Death Rock got to LA. LA was like kind of to me in a way the birth of Death Rock. I think that the Brits were calling it post punk. Right. Um, right. But in LA, Death Rock actually really happened. It was kind of like a voodoo mixture of goth and like glam. And it it was like the gun club were kind of considered death rock and the flesh eaters were kind of considered death rock. And of course, Christian Death. And I mean, there's right. so many bands that were happening there. Um, well, they Flower start, Leopard, they... That hell, hell Comes to Your House. Right, the comp. compilation, yes. It's kind of like a death rock comp. Right. And that was all the bands. But a lot of them were just like kind of glammy punk bands. And some of them were kind of mostly goth. That's like but the New York thrash <laughs> compilation of New York City. Right. But for L.A. That, that came out way that came out way after that stuff was kind of done. The right. New York thrash came out in like 85, 86 or something, didn't it? Uh, no, I thought New that York came Coast. out. In, no, no. That came out in 81 or yeah. 82. Oh, yes. Yeah, so way later. Way later. Yeah. That, that was like a like a kind of like a historical um, just kind of. I, I, Christian Death kind of started that whole thing, at least from the American side of things, right? They were one of the, they were definitely one of the main bands. I mean that um, album is that album is like Only synonymous. Playing, yeah. yeah, love it, I love it. Yeah. Big fan. It, my, it influenced Scarecrow. I mean, it influenced Scarecrow. My my first yeah. film is called Romeo's Distress. I that my I shot a feature length film. Yeah. Um, the uh, so you. So so then how does Brain Eaters start up? Um well Greg Vasilino is uh is kind of in, in influential in this. I had seen the Misfits a bunch of times, but I uh -huh. wasn't really, you know, a huge, huge uh fan. Horror business ha had just come out or hadn't come out, I don't even remember at this point. Horror business was like the first thing that I heard that made me go like, holy shit, this is so amazing. Um and so I got Greg. I went over to Greg's house one day and he's, I, we were talking about the damned and I, we're, our love of the damned. And he's like, have you heard a lot of the misfit stuff? And I'm like, I've seen them. I haven't heard any of their seven inches. I haven't heard any of their records. So we did like a seven inch listening party. And I just was like, just blown away by how great the music was. And it was hard to tell how great the music was live because a lot of times the shows were kind of sloppy and you know glenn was a great singer but so anyway i listened to the seven inches and i was just kind of like blown away and they became kind of my favorite band i was always a big fan of the damned and i heard the damned i heard the doors i heard elvis i heard everything and punk at the same time i just became a big fan then they were done um i saw the great gilders gilder sleeves and that was like one of the last shows they played that i saw and right. um uh so they were done and sam hayne was starting up and uh uh, uh let me interject I, let me let me interject yeah. real quick uh do you remember yeah. hearing what what did you remember hearing about the breakup anything like uh oh the misfits are over anything like that and were you in the fiend club at all i know greg was i was in the fiend club absolutely yeah i had all my fiend club stuff yeah i was totally in the fiend club that's the whole thing about the fiend club whether you were in it or not if you wrote glenn and you said can i you know you ordered t-shirts or whatever, because I ordered a bunch of shit from him. He would send you a personal letter written. He would send you extra shit, stickers. He would send you like an extra t-shirt. He was silk screening all that stuff himself. It was awesome. It felt like you were really, it's a Glenn's thing. Glenn's fucking thing. He's so meat and potatoes. Not anymore, obviously, but then you really felt like you were like in something because Glenn really like, 
it was like, you know, you got personal shit from them. It was like an early version of like meet and greets. You got a letter from him and, you know, he saw, he, he would just, he would reach out to you. He was very, uh, very um, accessible. accessible. I'm not sure about personal because I hadn't met him at right. that point. I, I, right. I, you know, run into him Accessible, now, accessible, better word. Better very word. accessible. Yeah. So um, I was in the Fiend Club and um, Brain Eaters happened because of my love of the Misfits and my love of uh, the beginnings of Sam Hain. And I had heard, uh, you know, Initium. And uh, I was like, I wanted to start a Misfits like band, a band that was along those lines, horror punk, horror influenced, horror tinged punk. And I was like, let me call it this, let me call it this. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to call it Brain Eaters because it's a great horror movie and it's a misfit song. Why not right. be more obvious than that? Why not be stupidly obvious in my love of the misfits instead of trying to like hide it? Oh, I'm not really into misfits. I did my own band. It's nothing like the misfits. People do that shit all the time. They have bands that are completely influenced by another band. They go, what? I never heard of that band. Who is that? When they're fucking full of shit. They totally love the other. So I just said, fuck it. I'm going to do a band that is obviously super into the misfits. You know what's interesting? What I've just what I've just realized, I'm thinking about it now. You are probably as far as I know, you are the first person to ever name a band after a misfits song because that has happened. That has happened, I mean hundreds hundreds of times now. There are so many bands that have taken their 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 band names from misfits songs you were the first one to do that. I'm trying to think. I don't think I'm trying to think. I don't think anybody was stupid enough to do it. <laughs> yeah, but you, the when, when did you do? When did you start? Brain Eater started in '86, '85. In '85, okay. Right after Chop, right after Chop Shop, and the so, um, it was yeah, me, it was me on guitar and mm -hmm. Bobby Snots from the Bobby Snots from the Horlords was the singer, and he lasted in a couple of years. In wait, wait, Bobby Snots was the lead singer of the Brain Eaters. He's the lead singer of Brain Eaters for what? Like four rehearsals. Oh my god, me, Sarah, Chris, me on guitar, Chris on guitar, Bobby Scott singing, um, and uh, Sarah on bass, and Rob drumming. And Bobby lasted until he kept fucking hitting me up for dope money, and I couldn't take it anymore. So I was yeah. like, This isn't gonna work. And we just parted ways, and then every I just said, Fuck it, I'm gonna sing. So it was me singing and playing guitar, Chris X Geyser on guitar, Sarah on bass, my girlfriend at the time, who was 15 and um uh rob taz on drums so then we started gigging and it was fucking great people people were people came out greg fasolino brought the brought the crew from middle village queens and uh that's people awesome really started digging. yeah people started digging it there's a great uh if for anybody who wants to hear greg called up glenn danzig on the radio uh, Glenn was doing something for the Misfits in '82, and he recorded. Tell that story. I'll use the bathroom really quickly, okay, Jeff? I'm sorry. I have to use the bathroom. Okay, yeah, yeah I'll tell that story. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, no, it's just really, no, it's just really funny. It's uh, Greg is. You just hear a very young Greg Fasolino calling in, being like, "Yeah, hi, uh, uh, Glenn is." Uh, he was asking a question about Beware because at the time, and and Greg, Greg, I had Greg on my show, and we talked for probably about two and a half hours, and. Uh, I, I did like a listen through on his tape and like kind of like added my own little commentary on it. Um, I mean, it was an unreleased Misfits 
you know, recording from 1982. No one had heard this. It was, we were like kids in the candy store, but it's just so funny. And then later on you hear a very young Steve Zing calling up. And it's funny because Greg had said that, Oh, it was uh, Steve calls in later. And I imagined that it was Steve, like with a really high voice. It sounded like Steve. It just sounds like Steve. But I just imagine that when Steve called in to talk to Glenn, he'd be like, Oh, hi. (laughs) Hey, uh, Steve, it's uh, me. I mean, Glenn, it's me, Steve. (laughs) <laughs> but no, it just sounded like normal Steve. Um, but it was just, it was so interesting to hear both Greg and Steve on that recording. Uh, go check it out. Go check it out on Greg's Greg's uh, channel and check out my conversation with Greg on this channel. Really, really great stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, they recorded Joe will come back and he'll tell us about it. They did this. They did this EP called night must fall night must fall and here well i'll 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 wait until he comes back and i'll tell i'll tell i'll tell him about how i first heard first heard night must fall i didn't even realize the connection uh in, in that kind of regard but i do i have to say i do find the talk about demos is so fascinating i'm fascinated by this this notion of what a demo meant in a pre-internet age we constantly talk about um, how things were before the internet. The internet has made our lives so much easier. It's made artists' lives so much easier. It's so much easier to be an artist in 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 this day and age with the internet. You don't need to have uh, you don't need to have a demo. You could just have a band camp. You could just have a YouTube channel. If you're in a band now and you don't have a YouTube channel or a band camp with your with like a digital sort of presence then you're just, what are you doing with your life? You know, I mean, essentially you could be connected to everybody in the world, something that any band in the eighties wishes that they could. I mean, if you wanted to be connected with people, you had to make copies of your demo and then you'd have to mail them out. You have to send them to people. You'd have to, you know, uh, foster friendships, pen pals, yada, yada, yada. Um, So I was just, I was just talking about, I was talking about Greg. I was talking about that broadcast. Here's how I, first heard night the night must fall um ep seven inch inch, whatever you want to call it seven inch now i didn't realize i i had seen that name brain eaters on misfit central but i was actually aware of the brain eaters even before that in the most random of ways my friend from chicago was playing me some punk singles and he's like oh this one is from this band called the brain eaters and it's really fun and we sat there jamming out to Night Must Fall. Uh, what's the Crimson song? Crimson Crimson Nights. Crimson Nights. And we, uh, yeah, we listened through the whole thing. And it was just really funny. And then when I was with Joe, uh, my friend called up. And I was like, you know, I had him repeat all the lyrics to Joe while he was on the phone. Because he knows all the lyrics to, the, to Night Must Fall. I just thought it was really funny. Because like in his mind, I think in his mind, he just like, you know, it, it was just some like obscurity from the eighties. So it to is. actually, yeah, but that's, what's so funny. That's what's so funny is like, be like, Oh yeah, this is the guy from that band you like. And it's just, he probably just, it, it must've been surreal. Cause you know what it is like when you see something, you find some artifact and then like, you can't imagine mm-hmm. like that there's like a living, breathing person connected yeah. to said artifact, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah. You know? thank, God, thank God for the for the archaeologists because Brain Eaters is getting like a whole new life right now because of like the the vinyl archaeologists um, who like have to have every killed by death 
right. every kill by death uh, record. And we're when right. Brand New's record is considered kill by death. I don't know why, because it doesn't really fit into that era, but it is considered kill by death. Um, but it's just, it's one of those seven inches, it's obscure. There were only a thousand pressed. There's only like maybe four on Discogs. I have wow. two because two fans, well, fans, I hate saying fans, two people who liked the band from other countries sent me the seven inches. They sent them to me because I must said have been I didn't so, have them. Wow. It was super fucking cool. Denmark and Norway. That's awesome. These kids sent me the seven inch. I was like, it was amazing. So you and made it past. Is there a demo? Is there a demo before Night Must Fall that you did? Yes. Yeah, there's a demo. There is a demo, and I have it. Are there more songs on that demo than what ended up on Night Must Fall? It was just those three songs. No, it's just those songs, yeah. So, how does so? I mean, but you had to have had more material to play like a live show, right? You didn't just have three songs. We did. Yeah, we had everything. We had everything that's on the. Uh, no room in hell EP. Oh, oh, I didn't realize that. So yeah, so yeah. so so you recorded. Well, yeah. Was that your first? Ex- that wasn't your first experience in a studio. Um, no, I recorded with Scarecrow and Chop Shop. Right. And all so talk things. about. All right, let's talk about the studio experience for a little bit from your yeah. perspective. You said you go into use studios where you don't have a lot of money, but talk about like talk about maybe. Um, was analog. there a sense of urgency? Analog. It was all analog. Right, and it was analog. No talk digital. about that. Yeah, talk about that. Like, what is um, so com- comparing and contrast to what it is to record today? What were some of the the um, obstacles that you faced? Um, uh, uh, not being able to fuck up because if you fucked up, you had to fucking do the song again because there is no stop cutting and pasting <laughs> in digital. So you couldn't fuck up. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Play, you, had to, you had to play the song. You had to fucking know the song, and uh, which means you had to rehearse. Which means you couldn't do what kids do today, which is just bullshit their way. They program the drums and fucking cut and paste everything, which I do too these days a little bit. Right. But um, um, yeah. So you couldn't fuck up. You were on the clock. So if you fucked up, you were paying more money. Um, and it was just you often had shitty engineers. You needed an engineer. Yeah. And the engineers were often really shitty and they didn't like punk and they were from classic rock times and they were like, thought your shit was stupid. And you know, you had to go against that or they had dumb. You played live in the room. You recorded live. Played live in the room. Live yeah. in the room. At least, at least you played bass and drums or guitar and drums. Right. And then you, then you overdubbed everything else. I was going to say, do, um, was there any separation between the instruments when you're playing live or do you just sort of just get in there? With yeah, the there was. I mean, they, they had isolation boots for vocals. Isol- a little like baffles for drums or an isolation group on it. And it yeah. was, you know, close to close. It was a real studio. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, there were a lot of studios in New York, and these you'd show up at these studios, and these guys would be like rock guys, you know, meaning like old school rock guys. And yeah. you'd show up and you were like, all right, I'm doing this is our band, Brain Eaters. And they would be like, oh, what the fuck is this? You know, they thought it was weird. To um, say the least, they thought it was weird. What what about this? And and what about you know people that had four track? Like if you had a four track that you could record to cassette or something, um, yeah. how does that? I no, I did. Didn't. I did. No, I went into the studio, real studios. Um, I had friends who had them, but right. I didn't know how to use them. Pascams and stuff like that. I didn't right. know how to use them. I, I mean, that's another way. That's another mentality of making a demo. If you can't go into the studio, you could just make a demo in your in your bedroom if you needed to, right? You know. Yeah, and you, ba- and you bounce the, you bounce the tracks back and forth. But if you want drums, where are you going to record your drums? You're going to have to go to a, some kind of a studio or rehearsal space to record your drums. 
Right. You know? Unless you you're can't. Machine, unless, you're using, unless you're using a drum machine, when then you're set. Right. 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 So um, then, so then you 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 pick three songs. You're gonna do you know night must fall ep or sorry single seven inch whatever you want to call it and then yeah. what about the rest of the songs what did you what made you you were like okay we're no, gonna go happened, and- yeah well what happened was i was teaching my girlfriend um how to play bass and while I, and i recorded the night must fall uh record with rob the drummer and um nobody else played on that as far as I can remember. I don't remember at this point. So maybe I'm wrong. Chris, Sarah, tell me if I'm wrong. But as far as I remember, I played everything on that except for drums. Then I was teaching my girlfriend, Sarah, how to play bass. And Chris, I was teaching Chris how to play guitar. So I just wanted, you know, Sarah looked great. Chris looked great. Um, and I, they, but they didn't really know how to play. So I knew how to play guitar. And I was teaching her how to play bass and him how to play guitar. And we were getting ready to play live. So we, I started writing and I just wrote everything. I wrote all the, all the songs as I was teaching them how to play guitar. So as I was writing, I was teaching them the songs. So by the time they were good enough to play live, we had a set and um, we started playing CDs and we played CDs a bunch of times. And uh, next is, you know, the Pete, the Pete era of the band. So tell me about that. Damien, the Damien era. Um, well, hold on. Well, you talked about, wait, 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 before we get there. You talked about how you're like, oh, I was just really into Sam Hain. What, first of all, I'd love to hear your, I, I asked this to people that. To, no, More into Sam Hain than I was into the Misfits. I'm going to get okay. hate for that. I'm going to get hate for that, but I don't know. No, care a lot of, it seems like a lot of people like in general are really, yeah, there's a lot Sam of people Hain, that feel that way. It's like Glenn's death rock band. And I fucking was like coming in my fucking pants. It was like Glenn is Glenn's take on death rock fucking so original so groundbreaking but it still had glenn's amazing voice it was just diabolical it was darker than the misfits it still had some poppy edges to it like mother of mercy and i just i mean it's 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 just great it was everything it was the culmination of everything i liked about the misfits but there was stuff i didn't like about the misfits and sam hain 86 to everything i didn't like it like coalesced into this thing that I was just like fucking. This is this is the coolest shit right now. It's my favorite, my favorite shit. Um, what is it? Okay, let let me ask you this question. Since you're so intimate yes. with the Misfits and Sam Hain, and you're talking about like differences and stuff, what is um from a musical perspective? What is like what is going on musically, uh, song wise in Sam Hain that makes that's differing from. The Misfits, and you know, I I love using this analogy of the Misfits is Sam ha- is Halloween, and Sam Hain is Halloween too. That's what I like to say, but that's like sure. a very general. Because Halloween too was like more experimental. It was darker. It was yeah, more, yeah, it yeah. Was more, it took more chances. It was going against the grain. It was interesting. It had art rock aspects. It had gothy aspects it had death rock aspects it had punk still ingrained in it it had metal aspects which i loved because i was so into judas priest and iron maiden at that point i was always i became metalhead you know in the early 80s as well i and my punk friends were like you're a fucking fag they were like fuck metal metal sucks and i was like secretly listening to judas priest and iron maiden um you know later on of course metal became 
the thing. All the punk kids, all the hardcore bands won metal, but whatever, we won't hold it against anybody. Um, so it had metal aspects, you know, Pete's guitar playing, he was doing pinch harmonics and it was great. It was fucking great. Everything Steve's just... drumming was, Steve's drumming was tribal and it was yeah. awesome. And everything was, it, it was like taking so many more chances. There was nothing like that at the, at the moment. There was nothing like that. There was nothing like Sam Hain. Sam Hain was groundbreaking and it blew my mind, but I still love the Misfits. So you can hear in Brain Eaters, I still love the Misfits. You can tell like Night Must Fall, you know, Crimson Nights. But then I still love Death Rock. And you can hear in like the Unman and a bunch of other songs from the New Roman Hell EP that I got really into Sam Hain. And I love both sides. And that, that's what Brain Eaters became. Okay. You have two songs that are about Swamp Thing. You have the Ballad yes. of Arcane and you have the yes. Unman. And I just love that, like, there's like this almost like there's this influence from like Swamp Thing's mythology. I'm a fucking comic guy. I'm a comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comic kid. Ballad of Arcane's great. I, I was, I fucking Bernie Wrightson. Who made who love Swamp Bernie Thing. Wrightson? Have him right over there. Rich, yep. We talked about Bert, but Bat Out of Hell. Rich Corbin did the cover. Creepy yes. magazine. Eerie. Yes. I'm a fucking horror magazine, horror film, comic book geek. I'm a fucking nerd. Right? I have a piece of trivia so, for you. I have a piece of trivia for you, real yeah, quick. Right. I think I know where uh, in TV casualty, Glenn says, please don't feed my television screen. That comes from a creepy, creepy comic from 1978. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I'll send you the page. Uh, it's I'm, crazy. I'm, it's really crazy. I will. Sorry. So, continue on. You're a big fan no, of that no, stuff. I'm, I'm a comic geek. So I was a rights and freak. Right. I was a Rich Corbin, uh, Bernie rights and freak. And I love the Swamp Thing. I thought it was great. And I love Arcane. And the whole unman thing, the whole unman. So I decided, you know, it's a horror. I'm not going to only do horror movies. I'm going to do horror comics, throw some of that right. shit in there. And uh, Ballad of Arcane is kind of like one of my favorite songs that I've ever written, period, much less for Brain Eaters. All right. Your best but, song, uh, your best song, though, is Torture Garden. That's my favorite cool. track. And, that, and, and that's, I, my, that's almost like a glam rock and roll song by way I of love dark. Good. You know no, what's really good funny, about all these people, I'm saying, I'll take your innocence. People yes. are like, I'll take your little head. No, I'll that's what, when we were, when we head. met, yes, when we met, and I was like, Joe, I'm like, Joe, what are you singing on that? And you're like, I'll uh, take your innocence. I'll take your you. innocence from you. I was yes. like, what? I'll take your little head. I'll take your little sense. Yeah. You guys got to hear the song. Go, go look up after you watch this, this thing. Go look up Torture Garden. Um, it's it's, where is it? It's on it's on your band camp, movie. right? Yeah. Right. The, the, it's an amicus amicus horror film. Amicus horror is yeah, so Burgess, great. Burgess Meredith. It's like a three. Burgess Meredith. Awesome. That's right. That's right. Um, actually, yeah. it's a book as well. Yes, and you also have a song called but, Death um, Dream, which is a movie as well. Which is amazing. Living in a death dream. Really great yeah. stuff. Look up. Find that movie. That movie is incredible. So how so so Witchmaker also Witchmaker is also a movie, right? Right, that's right. Um, so you're a big fan. And then let hold on. I want to. So what is your favorite? Do you have a favorite Sam Hain album? I mean, I know you love them all, but like, what is there November a standout? November coming fire. Period. Okay, November coming fire is period. your is the be all end all. Done deal. Done deal. Um, for me, 
You know, what's interesting. I, you know, I did like a listen through sort of reaction thing uh, and was taking notes and mother of mercy is at their mother of mercy and to walk the night are oh. absolutely the precursors to Danzig one. You can hear, absolutely. you hear what Rick Rubin must hear. Like when he hears, when he go when he sees them at the new music seminar, which is Pete's last show with the band, and that's where this is interesting because Joe was literally was a there. part of the timeline. Oh, you was there. You were there. So you were at the you were at the final Sam Hain show. I saw every Sam Hain show in the tri-state area. I saw the Sam really? show. I saw the, that show. I saw everything. I saw. Would you say I, I spoke to John Steele from uh, Voice of Doom, and he said that. Sam Haynes live sound, like when they're playing live in the eighties, that the power is not really represented properly on those recordings. It's not, they were, they were better live, incredible on record, better live. I think because I don't think Glenn or whoever knew how to capture the sound because it was so I new. think you're right. I don't think anybody could capture it, but live they were like pure. And it was great. The Ritz show, there's a great picture of me right under Pete in the front row at the Ritz show. Yeah. And it's like, I'm like looking up because I was singing with Glenn. Glenn did the thing where he put the mic right. to the audience. I'm like such a fanboy singing along with Glenn. I know every lyric. I'm like, ah, da, 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 da. I'm right under Pete. And I'm looking up like this. And Pete's like fucking has his ice man. He's fun. And yeah. like a month later, two months later, he's in Brain Eaters. Just so crazy. So you, all right. So you like, he, he, now here's the thing. Here's another interesting thing that we were, when we were talking about, I was talking again, my conversation with John Steele, you know, Rick Rubin hears going back to Rick Rubin for a second. Clearly yeah. Rick Rubin is listening to mother of mercy and to walk the night at the new music seminar and just thinking in his head, Oh, I know what to do with this guy. I know how, Absolutely. Right. Like on some level. And Rick's fucking smart. Right. He is smart. And so what he does is he 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 signs Glenn. The first thing that he does is he's like, Glenn, get rid of get rid of Pete. Like get push of him Pete. out. Get rid of Pete. Right. Get rid of Damien. Yeah. But you know what's interesting? Was, yeah. In in interviews, I mean, Glenn doesn't initially, initially, I'm sure Pete might feel otherwise or say otherwise. I didn't ask him about this when I had him on the show recently. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. that 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 it seems like from Glenn's perspective that there was, he didn't really feel any bad blood towards Damien about pushing Damien out. You know, it just was more of like a matter of fact thing, but here's, what's interesting. I think what ultimately, what ultimately, this is what we came to realize. If it, it was Glenn's insistence of playing guitar that way, that ultimately probably alienated Pete from Ruben because Pete's a great player. And it's He's Pete, a great yeah, but but Ruben wants to move away from that Sam Haynes sound, Absolutely. and and Pete is only playing that Sam Haynes sound. He's doing so because of Glenn. So in fact, because, it's Glenn. Glenn, I think that Rick locked in on the bluesy aspect of Glenn and thought he could make a bluesy, rocky metal band. Yeah, and he, he eighty six is all the death rock, all the death rock all that shit gets pushed aside and he gets and Danzig becomes a bluesy rock band, which with a little bit of like dark with dark overtones, you know what I mean? A dark bluesy rock band. You want to know the something? Sam Hain, it's 86. It gets, I, it gets done. In. I was watching, uh, 
I was watching some early black, some like Black Sabbath with Dio fronting it from the from the eighties. Which, by the way, side note, I prefer Dio Sabbath to Ozzy Sabbath. I know that's blasphemy. I love no. Dio Sabbath. No, it's not. It's it's not blasphemy. The Dio Sabbath is fucking phenomenal. They oh, okay, you agree with me. They okay, should have changed the name. Well, they did eventually to heaven and hell. Is, I agree. They should have changed the name. Dio sure. Sabbath is God. Dio Sabbath is fucking. Well, amazing. well, I you know they should have changed the name. I, I'm not a big enough Sabbath fan for that to be an issue. I actually thought that was a legitimate. I thought that the the heart the heart of Sabbath is Iomi and and Geezer Butler. So I felt that that no, don't uh, discount the award, my friend. Well, I mean, I'm just talking about like as oh, like wow. the nucleus, the nucleus of 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 Sabbath. The nucleus is, is Ward, Iomi, and Geezer. Ward is case, a fucking Ward's drumming is so godlike. It's yes, so it is. It's phenomenal. I mean, Children of the Grave. I mean, it's phenomenal. But I, I just, oh. I'm just saying that I think that's a very valid iteration of Sabbath. Even with that name Sabbath, it's still valid to me. And I'm watching yeah, yeah. them play live. I'm watching this on YouTube, and I'm suddenly going, I'm like, God, like that's what Glenn. I mean, that's ultimately what Danzig was. Like it was like just basically trying to be his own version of Black Sabbath. Like that's literally yeah. when you look at those guys, when you look at the, the, the formation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sure. literally, that is what Danzig is. Danzig is like, I am sort of reforming myself into uh, the Sabbath like entity called Danzig. That's what it is. That's literally Except what it is. But Glenn's vocals are, you know, a thing unto themselves. Well, Glenn's like vocals are, well, Glenn's doing, I mean, Glenn's far, there's far more, there's Jim, it's Jim Morrison. I mean, there's far Jim more. Morrison, Elvis, Roy it's Orbison. Elvis, it's, it's where, and a little bit of right. Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison is a little bit more high singing, but yeah, to me, well, it's Jim Morrison. Listen to, Elvis. if you listen to, uh, not Life Fades Away, but you listen to uh, less, you listen to Less Than Zero. And if you listen to Sestina's, Sestina's is like an Orbison song. You know, from Danzig three. Um, in any case, he get he gets oust. He's ousted, and what Oust. happened? Yeah. Um, I find out because I'm such a Sam Hain freak, and everybody in the scene is kind of tight knit. I think that everybody forget everybody forgets. Well, not people my age. We all knew each other back in those days. Everybody knew each other. Everybody had a line to everybody else. Like. If you wanted Glenn's phone number, you just hit up somebody who knew Glenn. And I did, you know, it's like, yeah. I knew Pete, I knew Pete got kicked out. So I hit somebody up. I think it was Nick Martin. And I was like, do you have Glenn's phone number? Yeah, I got it. Cool. Give it to me. Cool. I call and I call Glenn. Erie answers. And Erie's like, hello. And I'm like, hey, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to get Pete Marshall, Damien's number. And Erie goes, oh yeah. Okay, cool. Here it is. It was like that in those days. So I got yeah, you could just number. ask somebody for their number. Just ask somebody. Everybody, nobody was like unattainable rock stars. You couldn't get near them. No, but no, so hold on like, a second. Hold on a second. Glenn, it's was, not un- Glenn was not a rock star at that point at all. Yeah, but so it's can- not, Joe, it's not unattainable rock stars. In today's day and age, even anybody off the street, you would never just give out someone's number without asking their permission first. It's a different now world. You would, right. But then you would. But back so anyway, then it was okay. Yeah. yeah. I call, I call Erie answers yeah. and um, I asked him for Pete's phone number and I got it and I called Pete and I was like, Hey, Pete, blah, blah, blah. Um, I got this band called Brain Eaters. Um, we're playing CBs. We got shows coming up. We have several shows at CBs. Do you want to do it? He said, let me hear it. I played it for him. He liked it. And he did it. Um, and he joined. So it was that easy. 
um, we rehearsed and Pete just brought this huge metal influence in. He was, he had this fucking Ibanez ice band signed by Metallica, his long trench coat. Still, he was still hot off the Danzig thing. And he was into metal and hard rock. I was more into punk and a hard rock. And he, you know, it was a good mesh. He brought this heaviness to the band. Um, I wanted leads and I started writing towards that, that kind of thing. And me and him wrote that song, All Souls Day, the one we used to open with. And um, it just was great. And the first couple of shows with Pete were, were amazing. Damien, you know, it was, it was just, they were great. And um, Right. So then we recorded. Then we went into the studio and we recorded the No Room in Hell EP. How was that? Now, it, it, even though it was unreleased, the the the, uh, the fidelity, the quality, whatever you want to call it, it was the same as as Night Must Fall. Like you went into a studio it wasn't like a demo recording. It was a. Uh, it was meant to be. <clears throat> meant to be an well, EP. That's another. That's another story. So we recorded okay. that, and we played a bunch of shows, and um, we go into we Gem PVC Records, which is Susan. She's the Cure. A bunch of they had the Angry Samoans, and they wanted to sign us. And right around the time that the band started to kind of fall apart, Pete was Pete had like left. It was a crossover time. We got offered a deal from Gem PVC to go on tour with the Angry Samoans, do a whole tour, record this album, do put out the album, the No Room in Hell EP, and um, it just didn't happen because the guys in the band, the guys who replaced Pete, and uh, they just didn't want to sign. So I just, mm. just kind of fell apart. That is a really, really sticky situation. I mean, incredibly sticky. Uh, you know what else is sticky? Do you know? Yes. What's sticky? Stickers. What? Stickers are sticky. And stickies. Yeah. And here's the thing. Um, this channel from us, the from us channel, we are powered by riotstickers.com. You can see it right here down below. That's riotstickers.com. We're running a special promotion we uh they are our proud sponsors and we uh we love riot stickers i've done business with riot stickers in the past uh independently owned personable businessman josh grove aka sharpie riot he runs riotstickers.com and you're not going to find a better sticker deal i'm serious and leading competitors allegedly they they don't stick their stickers don't stick you put them on the telephone pole and they fall off like throwing like throwing salami against a wall. It just doesn't stick. Uh, but Riot Stickers, they stick really well. And we're doing a special promotion with them, as I said. Normally, it's $59. But if you use the promo code FRUMESS, F-R-U-M-E-S-S, you can get 50% off, $29.50 for 50 three-inch by three-inch stickers. That's right. So that's a lot of real estate for your band logo, for whatever that art is, for any message. If you have a message, if you're like the, uh, what is the, the Greek god? Is it the Greek god Mercury? Mercury, he's the messenger god, right? Mercury. Yeah, Mercury. Yeah, He goes out there and he's got a message. Well, you can be the visual Mercury by putting your message onto a sticker that you can then stick wherever the hell you feel like it, even on a cop card. Don't do that, kids. Don't put your sticker on a cop card. That's a bad idea. Um, but there's a link down in the description. If you you'll look past the link for brain eaters and chop chop down in the comments below, and you're going to see a link. You click on that link and you put in the promo code from us and you're going to get 
um, 50% off. Best deal on the internet. Let's play the 60-second video, and we'll get back to our conversation with Mr. Joe Trump. Right, stickers. We are the bomb. All right, we are the bomb. Where where were yes, we yes, in sir. our conversation? I'm sorry to to, to um, interrupt we were, like that. Go ahead. We were talking about we were talking about uh, the band just had broken up actually. So right. the we, band we were, broke we up. To, we were signed to Gem PVC Records. Band broke up, so that record that re- that uh, record never saw the light of day, which takes us to where we are today. Where are we today, Joe? Um, how many years later? 1986. That was recorded. So 86. What is it? Tell me, Jeff. I can't do. Do, do you want me to make you feel really old right now? Make me feel really old. Yeah. Okay. I was one year old in 1986. I was born in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> I was 26. I was 26. Oh, ouch! Oh. No. Um. Uh. Listen. It is what it is. I'll tell you something. I. I hope. I hope that I look as great as you do when I'm your age. That's all I'm going to say. You look, you, you Thanks, are, man. you, you are, uh, you, you seem eternal and that's what I want in my life. Truly. Uh, in, in all honesty, me, me and Glenn, me and Glenn, it's going to be me. Glenn yes. and the roaches. Yes. No, <laughs> but to answer your question, it's 35 years ago. <laughs> 35 years late, 35 years later. Yes. Yes. Um, Cleopatra Records, I reach out to them because they do the Morning Noise record. Boys, right. Morning Noise, awesome people, awesome band. Mm-hmm. So stoked for them. Uh, because of their review, I reach out to Cleopatra and said, hey, you know, Morning Noise, Brain Eaters, nah, 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 nah. it was sort of like a triumvirate. It was Morning Noise, Rosemary's Babies, uh, Brain Eaters. It was kind of like a thing, you know? Um, and uh, they jumped on it. They loved it. They loved the idea. I, pl- I, th- I sent them the Night Must Fall. I sent them the No Room in Hell and the Seven Inch, and they flipped. They were like, absolutely. Did you? So, you uh, you still had the masters for Night Must. I mean, you had the masters for everything. Everything, yeah. And That's Greg Fasolino. Greg Fasolino had digitized everything, so awesome. he had wave he had wave files for everything. So I didn't even have to go far. Greg had everything. The historian Greg the Greg who like. You know, if it weren't for Greg, none of this shit would have happened. None of this Literally happened the best archivist ever. And I'll tell you something. If you are yes. connected to Greg on Facebook, I'm connected to Greg on Facebook. And I'll tell you something. If it was anybody else, I would find it to be utterly mundane and, and irksome. But Greg 
like he creates these albums of his life. He does them in years. Like he has 1985, Incredible. 1970. Incredible. And, and, and it's just like every, he's held on to everything receipts from when he bought records at Bleaker Pops. Like, totally. and it's like, who he cares? I know. And he wasn't a, he wasn't a city guy either. Really. He was a Queens guy. Right. It's like, you know, he, he, he just, he's incredible. He's just an amazing he's dude. documented like, his life. And it's just, yes. and it's like little scraps of paper that you might go, what and he's a musician? Do? And he's a musician too. And, I mean, and he's, he's a musician, but he's but, a musician. But what's so crazy is that like, you're like, what is, who cares about this piece of paper? But it's actually kind of cool. Like, it's actually kind of interesting. Yeah. Like I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, kid. yeah, he keeps all his stuff. I'm kind of like he jealous. He took all the pictures. He took half, half like the, the new, the Brain Eaters reissue that's coming out on Cleopatra, yeah. which is everything we recorded. Plus mm -hmm. me and Pete, Damien, uh -huh. got together. I wrote four new songs. Actually, one of them we co-wrote. And um we I, I recorded four new songs and Pete plays lead on on four new songs. So it's the all the discography that we ever did, some of that never released, and four new songs that nobody's ever heard before. So um, all on all on Cleopatra. I mean, that's really so this is coming out, you guys. Uh I put really? I don't know if I put there's no link. There's no Cleopatra link available yet for pre-order. No, no, no. It's coming out late late summer, early fall. Because of the pressing plants are all black, right? Up. So, so when summer early, fall. so when when Joe gets the information, when he gets the link, you're going to be hearing oh, from me. Yeah. I'm going to tell all of you guys. I'm going to say, guys, this is something you're going to want to pre-order. And I'll tell you, we've been talking about the music. Go listen to it on the Bandcamp to get a taste. This is something you're going to want to have in your collection. You want this to have, want this to be in your collection. Right next to Morning Noise. Right next to Dance. Right. Right. I mean, you have to have the complete Cleopatra you know, uh, catalog of, of these bands and, and these genres and things. Tell me, did you like, uh, what did you think of the Danzig sings Elvis record? Did you listen to any of that stuff for, uh, it was fucking great. I was going to go. I liked it, it as well. If it wasn't for COVID. I would have gone because all mm. the, all the morning noise guys went, they were all, yeah. there. Steve was there. All, they were all in LA and I'm from, I mean, I lived in LA for the past 17 years. I would have gone, but COVID is just, I have, I have, where are uh, you now? Where where are you currently? I'm in Northern, Northern California on a on a farm, believe it or not. Nice. Farm. Northern, you know, it's so funny. Northern California, it's like a whole different world from Southern California. It is night and day. Right. I lived in Southern California for 17 years in Long Beach. Um, and it's a completely different world up here. It's, Do you miss Long Beach? Uh aspects of it, yeah. It's a little it's some uh, some parts of up here are a little deliverance. I live in the uh it's a little bit wrong turn. It's a little wrong turn up here. In some, oh my some god! But I've got I've got a really awesome tattoo shop up here, and um, in a nice little city called Rockland. And uh, yeah, so and I still have my tattoo shop in Long Beach. I've been tattooing for thirty years now. So let's talk a little bit about that. When did uh, when did the when did you sort of segue, or when did tattooing sort of become your main squeeze? How did that happen? Um, well, music wasn't going to pay the bills. That's for, for damn sure. So I was working right. a bunch of shitty jobs and, uh, I worked at tower records for years. And then, uh, I just, I approached my tattoo artist. I've been getting tattooed since 79. I got my little, I got, where's my crimson ghost. There's my crimson ghost from 81. Look at that. From, that is a super early 81. And I got this one, my, my Sam Hain. I got, which people call Danzig and I go, fuck you. It's not Danzig. It's Sam. Hain. Yeah. 
And that was about an 85. And um, so in when I started getting tattooed, when I- 81, when I tattooed, 81. Do you realize that is that is incredibly early. You you might even have had a Misfits tattoo before the Misfits had Misfits tattoos. I don't think they no, got tattooed right until later. Time. Right around the same Crazy. time, because they got tattooed by Ke- Kevin Brady. And I That's knew Kevin. Crazy. So I got ta- so I approached my tattoo artist and I asked him to apprentice me and he apprenticed me in 92 and I yeah. started tattooing professionally in like 94 and I opened my own shop on the Lower East Side and out in Alphabet City as they call it these days and um owned a shop down there for years and then moved to uh moved to uh LA and uh Jesus Christ moved to LA a bunch of times but moved there permanently in 2004 let me ask you this. Or, yeah. What yeah. what is the obsession with like West Coasters and like directions? Like it's a, you see it in TV shows all the time. Like over on West Semprierda and East Ver like it's like it's like everybody is like obsessed with directions and like talking very like you don't hear East Coasters talk about like this stuff in the same kind of way. It's just I don't know, it seems like to be a thing. West Coasters can't fucking drive. You know, New Yorkers, New Yorkers, New Yorkers always say Jer- people from Jersey can't drive. No, people from Jersey can drive in Jersey, but when yeah. they hit the city, they can't drive in the city. But yeah. comparatively, listen to me, New York driving is Jersey. tough compared yeah. to California. Jersey are the best drivers I've ever experienced in my fucking life. West really? Coast people are the worst drivers, and Southern <laughs> California sucks ass. But Northern California, these people. It's like they never got a driver's license. It's like it's like a free for all. They don't signal. Wow. They cut you off. It sucks. I miss New York drivers. I miss New York in a lot of ways, but you know, I have kids, and uh, it's nice up here. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, you know, I live in what you would consider the burbs. I live in Westchester, and you know, it's what's nice about being in Westchester is that if you just I like go. Westchester. Yeah, you go you go 30 minutes south, 35 minutes south, you're in New York City and if you go in the city. Yeah, if you go up, you're in the sticks. It's really nice. You know I lived in Yonk- I lived in Yonkers for years. So you lived Yonkers. right so you lived in so that is Westchester. There you go. I lived in Yonkers. I lived in Yonkers before I moved to California. So I'll tell you something, a lot yeah. of people came out of Yonk. David Johansson I think came out of Yonkers. Yeah, I think Yonkers. uh um, what's his face? Steven Tyler is from Yonkers yep. from Aerosmith. I got a is lot he of from Yonkers just lived in Massachusetts for a really long time. I think he's originally from Yonkers, but don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. Um, but you know, it's and then yeah. what what is so then what what is like and then the other thing too is you've been involved with like uh it seems like every time I blink my eyes, you have some new music project in addition to brain eaters you're just always doing stuff you had this you're doing like a swamp you were doing like a swamp rock thing oh i was wrong thank you chris david joe is from staten island and i knew that you're right steven tyler steven tyler is from yonkers not david johansson my bad i didn't say david johansson was from yonkers i know i did i did i did it was me um he's from he is from staten island yes you you're always you're always like on the horizon sort of you know no, even if tattooing is your 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 business you you always you've never stopped being a musical artist and you're always out there sort of doing stuff still playing 
still That's playing great. a lot. And yeah, always I always have a bunch of bands going on. Um, um, Brain Eaters is going to play live. I'm hoping that Pete does it. I'm hoping that Damien does it. Um, we'll He's got to do if it. Not, He's got to do it. I I'll want, give him. He played Jersey. He's at least going to come on stage and play a bunch of songs. I know that. If you play but Jersey, I, I am going to be there. I am going Jersey. to Jersey. Kidding me? Yes. We're going to come back. We're our first show is going to be East Coast. I'm not going to do a first show out here. I'm going to do a first coast first show back where we're from. Oh, that's awesome. You at next time you're East Coast. Like you have to call me the next time you're East Coast. We'll we'll grab a coffee or something. We definitely have to. We absolutely to have to do that. I'm going to come back and see my mom, my 90-year-old mom. God bless at 90. Wow. Um, incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, is your sister still? She's still over here as well? She's in Brooklyn. Oh, she's in Brooklyn. Okay. that's So So mom has somebody close by as well. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's in a nursing home now. She's got Alzheimer's, but she's still together. She's still gotcha. together. She talks, gotcha. I talk to her all the time. That's cool. That's cool. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else? Do you have anything else coming up besides the, the brain eaters release that we should um, know about? That's what we're on here to talk about. No, just, um, <laughs> that's going to, I, I got the, uh, proofs. It's going to come out on yellow on, on green splatter, red splatter, vinyl, digital. And I think, I'm not sure if it's going to come out on CD, but, um, Cleopatra's putting it out. It looks amazing. They so it's a green, so it's a green splatter, red splatter, or green splatter and green red splatter. splatter. And red splatter. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So guys, it's yeah. gonna be crazy colored vinyl. You're gonna need that. You need to. That's something yeah. you want to own, for sure. Oh, I need it. It's it's crazy. Cleopatra really has. They're like one of the last like true independent rock like indie punk whatever you indie alternative labels i would say like really truly like like uh sort of uh uh putting a lot of emphasis on i mean i guess you have fat records too and you know epitaph and stuff like that still exists but like i don't know it seems like cleopatra is really just sort of because they were kind of like um obscure and you know putting out like Roz williams christian death side projects they, 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 got all the old, they all got all the old goth bands and then they just branched out yeah, and the, the owner, pretty Brian, cool. The owner Brian, he has a head for Matt and Brian are the two kind of like guys there, and they have a head for like grabbing stuff, reissuing it at the right time, and and now they it's huge. They've got a huge company. It's worldwide. I mean, the Brainers record will be in fucking Egypt and Iraq. I mean, they've got worldwide distribution. Amazing. That's amazing. One person going to be like Brainitas. I love the Brainitas. <laughs> um, all right, guys. I'm sorry. No, I didn't say anything. Oh, uh, uh, stick Joe, stick around for a second. I'm going to let my Patreon thing. We're, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to close up shop here. Stick around for one second after, after we do this guys, I want to thank Joe truck so much for coming on the show and just like sort of chopping, chopping it up with us. And I'm so uh, happy for him and, you know, this this release. This was a long time. I remember back, you know, 11 years ago when like being like, Joe, you got to release this. Like, you know, I think a lot of people have, have sort of told Joe or encouraged Joe over the years in various different ways. Hey, when's that? You should put out that other thing. And it just never, never came out. Now it's finally coming out. Really, really happy about that. And uh, just keep your eyes peeled. Uh, I'm going to play us out with the, uh, the little Patreon thing and we'll keep you posted with shows next week. So we have a wonderful way of saying goodbye here at the show. 
we say peace and hair grease, peace and hair grease. Wait one, wait one second, Joe. We'll be right back. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it gonna be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time, uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. (laughs) So right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee, but it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.